Genesis. Old Testament book of Genesis. I always had mixed emotions about Abraham because on the one hand, God was richly blessing him, and on the other hand, he had so many obstacles and so many distractions and so many complications and so many interruptions in the promises that God made to him, and yet didn't seem to phase him much. I always thought, how on earth can he breeze through this stuff? Now, I know he didn't breeze through it, and we're going to make that crystal clear in the next couple of minutes, so let's go right into it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. We'll start there, and then um, I do want to read some of these passages of Scripture that um, we're going to be looking at. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, the Bible said, And Terah, that is Abraham's dad, took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot and son of Haran, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. Abraham's dad lived to be 205 years, and then Terah died in Haran, which is about halfway the distance as from where they were going. Now, just like we read in the Tower of Babel, we have a description of all of the nations that came out of Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and then God gives to us the reason why. I have to ask the question, why did they move? It's moving day for them. Why were they moving? Why was the whole family moving? Well, the next chapter tells us why. In chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, number one, get out of your country. Leave. Go away from your family, your extended relatives. You're only going to be taking your immediate family in this situation. Get out from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I am taking you to another place to live. And then he says, I am going to do several things with you. And in order to do that, I've got to get you out of Ur. Ur is one of those cities, big cosmopolitan cities of the ancient world that was about as worldly as it gets. And he says, I'm going to, number one, in verse two, make you a great nation. And God is in the process of doing that. He started doing it way back then, and he's still doing it. I will, number two, bless you and make your name great. And uh, Abraham, of course, is claimed by the three monotheistic religions in the world. And only those three, but they're the, the, the big ones. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. What a blessing Abraham has been. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. You and I are sitting here because of God's fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. That's why we're sitting here. God was taking Abraham to a new country, to a new land, settling him into the land of Canaan. And in the process, 
he was sharing with us the world through Abraham, the truth of his word that we're saved by grace through a coming Messiah. And they believed in the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. They believed God, and the Bible says because they believed God, he accounted it to them for righteousness. Their simple faith in believing what God said. Abraham never got to see Jesus when he was here on the earth. Jesus hadn't come. He got to see the promise, and the Bible says that it was his faith that saved him. So where is Abraham today? He's in heaven. He's in heaven with Isaac. He's in heaven with Jacob, his, uh, his uh, grandson, uh, son Isaac, grandson, and uh, Joseph, and, and uh, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people because God has blessed all of the families of the earth through Abraham. Now, Abraham is exploring the land. All you have to do is read through the book of Genesis, and you'll discover that Abraham departed. He did exactly what the Lord told him to do in verse 4, just as God had spoken to him, and he and Lot, they went, and Abraham was 75 years of age at the time, and he departed from Haran. And the Bible says that he is starting to explore the land of Canaan. He finally arrives in Canaan and he's exploring the land. So he goes to verse 6. He passes through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. By the way, he always seems to be camping out under these terebinth trees. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but some of the prettiest, some of the best trees that I can think of the shelter me are these huge oak trees we we always had them when I was growing up these huge oak trees and they were great trees to sit under and to get some shade from well in North America you can get shade from almost any tree but those terebinth trees were places where people would go and they would camp out and they would spend time they'd put their tents under there and they'd practically live under the shade of that tree or those trees while they were in the hot conditions of the, um, of, uh, the Middle East. And so he's, he's, he's in Shechem. And the Bible says in verse 7 that the Lord appeared to Abraham. It's almost like Abraham needs to be constantly reminded. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, everybody together, to your descendants I will give this land. And Abraham built an altar to the Lord, and he just was having a good time in fellowship with the Lord uh, in his relationship with him. Because that's good news. I'm giving this land to your descendants. Well, Abraham keeps exploring. Verse 8, the Bible says he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. He pitched his tent with Bethel in the east, in the west, and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and once again, he is spending time in fellowship with the Lord. And, and then finally, in his exploration, he journeys on going toward the south. Why he did that, I don't know. It was just as, probably back in those days, it was just as pretty as the north. I've been to Bethel and Shechem and those areas. They're just, they're just lush and pretty and just beautiful territory. I've also been in the south, and it's not so, not so nice today as it was back in those days. But no doubt, he's headed south a little bit, exploring the land of Canaan. And the, the Bible tells us that he, he runs into an interruption. Now, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it a distraction, an interruption, a complication, an obstacle. 
a delay. But he had reason to believe that God was working on his promise, but here he is in the land of Canaan, and because there was a famine in the land of Canaan, he decided to go down into Egypt and live there for a while. Now, Abraham was a very wealthy man. You'll know that he had lots of, uh, lots of people working for him, and he was taking care of a huge family uh, of people who worked for him. He was married to Sarah. They had no children yet up to this point, but uh, there was his nephew, Lot, and uh, the Bible tells us that he goes down to Egypt with all of these people. He's treated very, very nicely. But notice what he does in verse 11 of chapter 12 of this passage of Scripture. came to pass that when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. You've, uh, you've responded to the question, if you're not here, would you raise your hand? <laughs> you've responded to that before, haven't you? <laughs> and you said, well, that's a crazy question to ask. You know, I, my, my big question is, here is Abraham. God has promised him the land of Canaan, God has promised him that he would make him great. God has promised that it would happen through his descendants. And he says, Sarah, I might get killed down here in Egypt. <laughs> what does it tell you about Abraham? He's just as susceptible to doubt as you and I. He is a susceptible, you know, you, you, you and I can... We can get up in the morning and we can say, Lord, this has been a good day. We go through the day and we can say, look back on and say, Lord, this has been a, a good day. We've come to the end of a perfect day. And then you get the next day and you say, oh, Lord, I'm just overwhelmed with doubts and fears. He should have said to Sarah, oh, Sarah, we don't need to worry about this. God promised that he was going to bless me and bless you and bless our descendants and and all of that, so uh, I know we're going to be okay. Uh, I want to say something to you that is really important for you and I to think about. What, what, is, what is one of the ways that, uh, what generally, generally happens, it's not always the case, but what generally happens that, that tends to lead us into doubts? What is it that generally leads us into doubts? Think about that for a minute. I'm wondering if Abraham didn't say to himself, you know what, honey, I don't know if we should be headed this far south. I know there's a famine in the land and there's, uh, there's no food for us here, but maybe we ought to stick around and try to, try to wait it out a little bit. Uh, and maybe, maybe we shouldn't be. He maybe, maybe had some second doubts about going all the way to Egypt. That may have been the case. You'll remember when his grandson did the same thing. God told his grandson, no, 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 don't go down to Egypt. Don't go down to Egypt. It's a famine situation. Don't go down to Egypt. So I, I think it's important for you and I to remember that these doubts, when we have them, tend to come when there's no clear direction from the Lord. When you and I are given a choice and we must take that choice that we have and, and give it our best shot. 
You know, and people do that when it comes to marriage, and people do that when it comes to jobs, people do that when it comes to where to live, and all that kind of stuff. And you can't tell me that you haven't walked away from some of those situations saying, there's no clear direction, so I don't know what to do. I'm not real sure. Right? And maybe the Lord's just giving you a couple of options, and you get to choose whichever one you want. You see? But doubts tend to come whenever there's no clear direction. And so I want you to notice something here in chapter 12 that's interesting because it doesn't just show up. It seems like God keeps bothering. Uh, uh, that was the way it would seem to me if I were Abraham. The Bible says to us in chapter 12 after, after God talks to Abraham and, and tells Abraham all about uh, uh, this land that he's giving to him. Notice in verse 6, the Bible says that Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Mor. And, and what does it say? And the Canaanites were then in the land. The Canaanites were then in the land. I've got I've to figure out how I'm going to live in the land that God promised me with the Canaanites living here. Lord, why didn't you just clear them out? Why didn't you just clear them out? And, uh, but th he has to put up with this a lot because God reminds him not only in this passage of Scripture, but when you go to chapter 13, God reminds him again that uh, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. He adds another name. He says not only are there Canaanites in the land, but there are Perizzites in the land as well. Because when you get to verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, you have another interruption. You have another complication, another delay, another distraction, another obstacle. Lot and Abraham have too much stuff, too much livestock. There's not enough room for both of them. And so Abraham says to Lot, Lot, you get to decide where you're going to go and live. I'm going to give you first choice. We're up here in the mountains, you decide, and Lot goes over and he looks down in the valley, the Jordan River Valley, and he says, oh, that's pretty good down there. Looks like the Garden of Eden down there. I think I'm going to go down there and live. And Abraham says, okay, you can go down there and live, and that'll be fine, and I'll, I'll, stay, in the, in the, um, I'll stay up here in the highlands. And, but I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 14 of chapter 13. After they separated... After Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, and that's a story for another day. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. I want you to look to the north. See everything you can see. To the west, east, west, everything you can see. To the east, everything you can see. To the south, everything you can see. Because I am giving you everything that you can see. And notice what he says in verse 15. For all the land which you see, I give it to you and your descendants for a week. For just retirement. For a month. For a year. Oh, you'll get to have it for a decade. We'll give it to you for 100 years. No, what does he say? Forever. It is yours forever. Now, I could put a postscript to it and say, if you want it, I could do that. 
because there are a couple of times in history where they acted like they didn't want it and God, uh, God kicked them out for a while. But that doesn't change the promise. It's your land forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Rise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. And so Abraham moved his tent and he went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And he built an altar there in his fellowship with the Lord. But then there's another, another, another glitch. Now, you have to understand that this doesn't all happen in a week or two weeks or a month or a year or two years. It happens over a process of years. In fact, the Bible tells us how old Abraham was when he entered the land and tells us how old he was when he died. And in the process, we get these little markers of how old he is when God fulfills a certain part of his promise with him. So Abraham has to wonder when on earth God is going to fulfill his promise. After all, he doesn't even have any children yet. But in chapter 14, and, 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 and this was always my least favorite passage of Scripture because there's a, there's a war that occurs because Lot is captured. He lives down there in the plain, and, and there are a lot of wicked people living down there, and the Bible tells us so. So I have no problem telling you that. And so uh, the Bible tells, tells us that he is captured, and Abraham has to take all of the people that work for him, and they have to go, and they have to chase, this, uh, chase these people who have made war against Lot and, other, and others in that whole area. And by the time it's all over and Abraham is safely back home, do you think the, the war probably rattled him a little bit? I would think it rattled him a little bit. In fact, it must have rattled him a little bit because the Bible says that after the war is over, he successfully rescues Lot. He brings Lot back home. The Bible says in chapter 15, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I know this stuff rattles you. But I am your shield. I am your shield. I am your shield, and I am your exceedingly great reward. Now, at this point, Abraham has been in the land for a long, long time, and now he's starting to vocalize his doubts. And the Bible tells us that he is saying to the Lord, Lord, let's, let's talk about this. You have made the promise that this land is mine and my descendants forever. You have made the promise that you're going to make me a great nation. You have made the promise that the, that the people that come from me are going to be like the sands of the sea. And he says, but the problem is, I, I, don't have any, I don't have any kids. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Am I supposed to turn everything over to one of my employees? Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Lord, why don't we modify this a little bit? Why don't you give me a little relief from all the stress that I'm facing with this promise? And why don't you just go ahead and just, let's work it out through me giving my inheritance to my employee. Was the Lord okay with that? Nope. The Lord said, nope. 
Verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now, God has to really press this issue a little harder with Abraham because Abraham is wavering a little bit. He doesn't understand. God has promised that what he's going to do. He takes him out at nighttime there and says, Look up into heaven and look at all the stars. And he says, Abraham, Go ahead, start counting those stars. Now, if you can come up with the right number, then we'll just chuck it all. But Abraham, no doubt, shakes his head and says, Lord, I can't, I can't, I can't count the numbers. Now, now, I, you and I are, are not metaphorically speaking, you and I know, I, I, I don't like us to refer to people as stars. But in reality, you and I, some of those stars, one of those stars represents me, right? And one of those stars represents you. A vast number of people that God has brought into his family through Abraham. And uh, it just reminds me of, of Abraham's doubts. After years of delay and working on, work, it's all working on his patience and wearing down his faith. He is vocalizing his doubts. And, and the big one comes in verse 8. The Bible says, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit the land? You told me I'm going to inherit it, but I don't know how on earth this is possible. Now, what he does next, and I just want to bring it to your attention. You're probably familiar with this. What he does next is he says, okay, let's... Let's put this in stone, so to speak. Let's write out a formal document, so to speak. Let's, um, let's make sure that there is a certificate of authenticity here. And so what he does, what God does, is God says, I want you to bring a heifer, a three-year-old heifer, verse 9, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these things to the Lord, and, and, and the Bible tells us that he had him cut them in two right down the middle and place each piece opposite the other. Now, you have to figure out what's going on here. Without going, going to the county courthouse and getting a legal document signed, uh, uh, what they did back in those days is they would seal a covenant. This is a covenant that God has made. This is a promise that I intend to keep. A covenant is a promise that you intend to keep. And so he says, I want you to divide these animals. And I want, I, you know, it's like, it's like going and buying a chicken, a half a chicken, and half of, two half a chicken, one on this side and one on this side. And the whole point of this passage of Scripture is that God and Abraham are together supposed to walk through the path between all of these animals that have been split in two. And the whole time they're walking through, they're supposed to be saying to themselves and to each other, listen, by doing this, I'm promising that I'm going to do exactly what I told you I was going to do. 
That's how a covenant was made back in those days. It was the custom of the day. The Bible doesn't give this to us and say, well, God came up with this custom and, and we're supposed to keep it that way forever. It was the custom of the day. And Abraham did exactly what God asked him to do. Abraham falls asleep. He has a vision. The vision has its dark side to it as well as its bright side to it. But I want you to notice what it finally says in verse 17 of this covenant. It came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. So here is, here's Abraham. He doesn't even get to participate because when he wakes up, God is already in the process through the metaphor of a lighted torch going through the pieces. And he could have cried and he could have said, Lord, wait, wait, wait for me. I'm supposed to be a part of this covenant. But God would have said to him, no, 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 no. This is my covenant to you. You have nothing to do with it. It's my promise to you. It's not conditional. It's not based on what you do. Yeah, there'll be a couple of times that I'm going to have to kick you out of the land temporarily. But the fact of the matter is, I unilaterally have decided that this is the way it's going to be. And you and I are sitting here today because God made that covenant with Abraham unilaterally. By the way, shows up again, verse 18. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, he said... To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then what does he do in verses 19, 20, and 21? He doesn't just say the Canaanites are living here, the Perizzites are living here. He says, Let's, guess what? You're going to have to deal with the Kenites and the Canaanites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Raphaim and the Amorites and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, because they're all living in this land, too. <laughs> what an encouragement that would have been. It doesn't matter. Lord is kicking them all out. Or a lot of them will get to live in the land peacefully, but if they, if they, if they, don't, if they don't acknowledge the Lord then the Lord is going to have to deal with them because he is giving that land to Abraham. And does the Lord own everything? Yes. Is he own the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine? Does he own the rivers and the rocks and rills, the sun and moon that shine? Can he do with it, can he do with it what he wants? Okay. And so he's giving Canaan. And by the way, I, you're not. You're not going to see this now. We're going to have to. We're going to quit this for this morning. But, but notice the very last group of people in verse 21 are the Jebusites. What world famous city is built on the site of that little family nation of the Jebusites? Jerusalem. Now, as far as I know, Jerusalem is the only city in the world that has a future. God doesn't say he's got a plan for New York. I mean, he does. 
But he hasn't outlined a plan for New York or Chicago or Paris or London or, or Tokyo or Beijing. He, but he has outlined his plan for this city called Jerusalem. And aren't you amazed, and I, I, this isn't part of the sermon, but it just amazes me that the Romans came in in 70 A.D. and they totally destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They leveled everything, and, the, and they renamed the city. They gave it a Greek name, renamed it, and told every Jew, you get out, you can't live here any longer. And by the second century, there was actually a written decree that if you were a Jewish person, you couldn't go back to this Roman city. They built a mall. They built a strip mall on top of the place where the temple was supposed to be. But Jerusalem pops back up again. And every time it's destroyed, it pops back up again. Now, don't let your imaginations run wild with you. I know with the special effects in modern movies, you can easily picture it that way. But don't quite picture it quite that way. But it was Mark Twain, the atheist. Mark Twain was an atheist. He didn't claim to know the Lord. He says, you know, he says, if I wanted to be a believer, he said, he said, the thing that would convince me more than anything in all the world is the fact that the Jewish people still exist after all these years where they have been ridiculed and they have been insulted and they have been assaulted and they have been killed and their country has been decimated. I tell you what, I don't understand. It's, it's kind of like a miracle that the Jewish people still exist today. Anyway, that's, that's a little sidelight there. What I want to do is I want to close right now because I, I, I want you to think about this for a second. There's, there's a lot more that we could talk about here. I, 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 Abraham is buried over in Hebron, which is south of Jerusalem. So on Resurrection Day, I doubt whether I will personally get to see him rise. But I would love to see what happens the day of resurrection when God resurrects Abraham. And Abraham finally realizes that everything that God has planned is now perfectly fulfilled. And, uh, but anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there at this point anyway. But listen, let me ask you a couple of questions as we close. Just, just ask you a couple of questions, okay? Abraham's doubts, Abraham's doubts, is it a sin to doubt God, yes or no? Is it a sin to doubt God, yes or no? It is? Psalmist says, when doubts fill my mind, your comfort gave me reward, renewed hope and cheer. It is a sin to doubt God if, because you're right, but it needs a better answer. It's a sin to doubt God if it leads you to become skeptical, cynical, and hard-hearted. Did that ever happen to Abraham with all the obstacles he had? No. But if it leads you, if it leads you to go to the Lord in greater faith, it's not sinful to doubt God. Second question. Are you ready for the second question? When you have doubts, does it mean that you have less faith? No, not necessarily. Many people in the Bible who we consider to be pillars of faith had great faith and still from time to time doubted. Third question. What should I do when I find myself doubting God? What should I do? What did Abraham do? I mean, we just got bits and pieces of it. What did Abraham do when he doubted God? 
he would, I mean, when, he, when, when, when God gave him a promise, and now there's a room to doubt because the promise has been given, he would build an altar and he would spend time in fellowship with the Lord. And final question, final question. Does my doubt keep God from helping me? A lot of people think, well, I'm, I'm a doubter now, so God's not going to help me. No, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed Peter and had to say to him, oh, you have so little faith at this point. All right, those questions I wanted to deal with, but take them home and spend some time with them. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Abraham. Lord, we... We look at his life and we see all of the, the obstacles and all of the distractions and all of the delays after all those years. And yet he continued in his doubt and his weariness and his, his trying of his patience and all of that. He continued to trust you. Lord, help us to continue to trust you with the fact that these are prophecies that don't have their final fulfillment yet. You're still in the process of working them out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.